What's up, Raising Cajun fans? This is head football coach Billy Nature, and you're listening to the flagship station of Louisiana Raging Cajun Athletics, ESPN 1420. He thinks Drew Brees should run for president. With Zion Williamson as his running mate. I vote yes. It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN 1420 and ESPN1420.com. Welcome back into the program. It's the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers, Open Think Tank. I'm Scott Prather. Friday morning, week three of the college football season. 21 games on the docket. It's the second game of the season for Louisiana, the first for their opponent, Georgia State. Uh, the game is in Atlanta tomorrow. We'll be on the air with pregame at 9 a.m., 11 o'clock kickoff here on ESPN 1420 via Learfield IMG College. And here to chat some Cajun football with us is UL Sports Beat reporter for the Daily Advertiser at TDA Raging Cajuns on Twitter and as someone that I consider a friend. That'd be Tim Buckley. Good morning, Tim. How are you, man? Well, I managed to have my first cup of coffee, Scott, so it's all good. How are you? You, you got to get it. What, what happens to Tim if he doesn't get coffee in the morning out of curiosity? Oh, Cranky Tim becomes crankier, Tim. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Let's, um, you know, first thing I want to I want to lead off with, I guess, is just where we're at um, with 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 you know the year twenty twenty. Uh, last hour, I was talking to my friend Gus Cadgill, who I talk to every Friday about the Saints, and he's in New Orleans, and he's he's he has coronavirus, and he was kind of talking about some of the huh. symptoms, and now he's been dealing with it uh, for the Cajuns. You know, Coach Napier, I guess Wednesday night said, you know, we, we, not the exact phrase, but we kind of been able to avoid it to this point, but now we're dealing with it. Um, a lot of folks listening have been reading, you know, you and, and some of the stuff we've been reporting as well. But what's, what's the latest update on that and, and how is it going to impact the team, uh, tomorrow? Well, nothing new since what he said on Wednesday night, since Billy Napier's availability is very limited. Uh, uh, during the week, we only get them on Mondays and on, on Wednesdays, um, which is unfortunate, but I digress. Um, so no, nothing new since Wednesday night, but as far as we can discern, um, there's, there's three key people, um, arguably two key people, as long as Levi Lewis does not get hurt, um, who we we know are going to be out. One is the starting cornerback, uh, A.J. Washington, who, of course, had a you know an interception against Iowa State, and that kid's been playing great. Um, he, he's had four interceptions since the start of last season. Um, kind of a little bit under the radar despite that, but really has been a big contributor. So they'll miss him. They'll plug in uh, Makai Gardner, um, Juco transfer kid who – you know, had limited action last season. He played in four games, but but managed to keep the red shirt. Um, and you know, the kind of the next man up who who pick up you know even more reps with Washington being out is Trey Amos uh, from Catholic High down in New Iberia, who by all accounts is going to be a great one, but you know, inexperienced nonetheless. So you know, some youth and inexperience on the corners are something that maybe they had to be arguably although Billy Napier downplayed that arguably had to be watching out for anyway, but even more so now. 
And the other one uh, is, or another one is Sonny Hazard, the defensive lineman, true freshman who, man, looked like he was really having a nose for the ball. That kid seemed to be all over the place when he was in there at Iowa State. And he, he was, he got some significant action. Um, that's mitigated a little bit by the fact that they'll have Zion Hill coming back. And they also, and this is kind of a surprise, they also picked back up Kendall Wilkerson, who uh, we were led to believe was going to be out for much, if not all of the season. And all of a sudden he pops back in as available and on the depth chart uh, in their week two. Um, he was the one who you know was in an auto accident in the spring, um, something that they kept hush-hush over the summer. And, uh, uh, but it had turned out he, he broke, broke a bone in one of his legs and he dislocated a wrist, but he's going to be available anyway. So that'll, that'll help with, with hazard, the freshman being out. And the other one is, and if you're a Cajun fan, you're knocking on wood that nothing happens to, to Levi Lewis. And that's no knock on the other reserve quarterback who they have, but, uh, uh, Javier Magale is out, uh, he was listed as their co-number two going into the Iowa State game. In all reality, he was their primary backup last season. Um, he's another one who's out, which leaves two uh, redshirt freshmen with very limited experiences. The uh, uh, number two and number threes with um, Chandler Fields from the New Orleans area and, and Clifton McDowell. Out of Texas, McDowell had been the, the scout team guy. He gets elevated to the number three. Um, if he got a turn to field, they really like him, uh, and you've heard really good things about him. And Billy Napier said he'd be totally confident if he had to, you know, throw him into a game. Um, but inexperienced nonetheless. So those are the three that were, you know, obvious ones to extrapolate off of the depth chart or missing off of the depth chart. And beyond that, we'll just have to continue to kind of piece the puzzle together tim buckley our guest uh this is an, an obvious answer to me uh in and perhaps to you as well but the question of most indispensable player um you know what you were just saying about the backup situation but even if it's all kind of set just based on the nature of the position you know the leadership values is is levi lewis the most i guess indispensable player no Indispensable is a strong word. I get it. But basically the biggest impact the team would have if they missed uh, this single player, it's got to be Levi, right? Or do you think there's some other players in the running for that? Well, I'm going to go with Shane Vallow because if you don't have a center to snap the ball, the play never starts. I mean, you just slide so. Cole over. You know, he can do it too. But. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, you you were just you're talking starters here. Okay. Um, no, I mean obviously it's Levi Lewis. Um, you know, in part because of the depth in the backfield, um, uh, you lose Eli Mitchell, which they do not plan to do. Um, they plan to you know have him fully ready to go, even though he got banged up late at Iowa State. You lose Eli uh, Elijah Mitchell, and and you've got you know you got Trey Regis and you got Chris Smith to call on. Um, they've already lost like 34 receivers, um, yet they still keep managing to have somebody else to call on. So it's not there. Um, you lose Lorenzo McCaskill, they're not going to. That's not that's not the case. But if you lose him, you know, you've got Chris Moncrief or you got 
you know, for our gardener who can slide over from the wheel and kind of handle things, they got a little depth at that inside linebacker position. So, yeah, you're right. The obvious answer is Levi Lewis, although I still like my smart aleck answer with Shane Vallow. Uh, Tim Buckley is uh, is our guest, ESPN 1420. Um, the, the win against Iowa State, uh, you know, you've been covering this program. You've been on the beat to, what, uh, ten, this is the 10th season, I think, now. Um, yeah, it sure is. Is that uh, is that the biggest win, regular season win, during your time covering this team? Uh, well, regular season for certain. They've never um, uh, they've never had a win over a Power Five um, during that time. Um, they've never had a win over a nationally ranked team during that time. Um, they've never beaten App State during that time. So biggest in the regular season, yeah. But for me, the one that goes down in the memory banks is obviously that first New Orleans Bowl win just because of the circumstances and the Brett Bear field goal and the illegal stemming penalty and um, the fact that they were in a bowl game to begin with, the fact that the atmosphere in the Superdome was was something special that day, all the circumstances of that one. But if you put the parameters of regular season on it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Tim remembers that one like it just happened. I mean, just detailing it all. The illegal stemming, um, what, which I think it was, uh, it was, which Quave brother was? Daniel Quave was like, I when that flag came out, I thought it was on me. So my heart sank. And then I realized we were getting five yards closer and I just started thanking God. So um, yeah. lots of moments well, from that one. First, first thing that happened for me was to Google illegal stemming and figure out what it was. <laughs> right, right. What's, and what the difference between legal stemming and illegal stemming is. Illegal which I still stemming. still haven't quite figured out. <laughs> Tim Buckley, our guest. Uh, all right, so for this matchup against Georgia State, um, you got Sean Elliott. And this is a team that, uh, while the Cajuns, I think, from a betting standpoint, are a 16-point favorite currently, this is a team that was a winning team last year. You know, they're coming off of a winning season. You don't have any film on them uh, for this year yet. Uh, what I mean, it, it's 16 points. I guess it makes sense. I mean, it's not really much of a surprise to me. But you know, Georgia State's record at home last season, they were five and one. Uh, I think I think any fans that might be just kind of penciling this thing down, um, you know, don't don't do it quite yet. This is a uh, this is a team that at least based on what we saw last year, you know, kind of middle of the pack in the Sun Belt, but definitely. There was no point last season where I looked at Georgia State and said, "Man, they kind of just look like a pushover in this conference." That's not the case. I mean, they were a uh, they were kind of a feisty team last year, and 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 we'll see what they have in store for year number two. Uh, excuse me for this net year number two of Sean Elliott, but for uh, for this season under Sean Elliott, I know he's been there for a couple of years, but it seemed like last year was a year where they took, I think, a big step forward compared to the previous two years under him. Well, you in typical fashion are going all glass half full. Um, I'll give you the flip side of that, which is um, they lost four out of their five last season when their starting quarterback, uh, Dan Ellington, uh, blew out an ACL, yet managed to finish the season playing with the torn ACL, which just blows my mind. Um, and reminds me of, and I know you love NBA references, reminds me of, the time that the Utah Jazz's Ben Hanlogden played an NBA game on a torn ACL, and we were like, "What?" Um, but anyway, um, you know, and and yes, you say, uh, you know, winning season at, at at seven and six, but you know, 
they're they're coming off the bowl game loss. They played in the Arizona Bowl, lost to Wyoming. Um, and perhaps most importantly, they're starting a very inexperienced quarterback, somebody who did get into four games, but you know, managed to preserve the red shirt and, and now will start as a red shirt freshman in Cornelius uh Cornelius Brown the the fourth. They call him Quad, um because he is the fourth. Uh but, you know, not a ton of experience there. Supposedly he's a real big guy. Um, very capable of uh, of running uh, in good fashion. Um, they may end up playing both quarterbacks that they have. They also got a uh, a transfer from Vanderbilt who got beat out uh, by Quad, as the case may be. Um, but they'll probably see them both. But it's the inexperience at quarterback that I think has a lot of um, – you know, question marks about them going into this thing. Now, the flip side of it is, um, if you want to go back to your glass half full uh, side of the argument, um, they have film on the Cajuns, and the Cajuns have no film on them because this is their season opener, so that'll arguably work in their favor at least a little bit. Well, look, I I, I expect the Cajuns to win um... – you know, for for a, a lot of the reasons you just pointed out, but uh, I don't know, man. There's there's some uncertainty. This team, I, I think, in my opinion, under HUD, at times you didn't know how the team would respond to things emotionally uh, following either a win or a loss. Uh, this team, I guess, now entering year three under Napier, they, they have some ups and downs, no doubts, Tim. But it seems like they're. Um, I don't know. They they seem to be fairly even keel uh, in terms of, you know, emotionally starting each game. I don't think that this is a team that's going to, uh, quote, get a big head or something like that coming off of the win. Um, I know that Coach Napier preaches that nonstop, and, and he's done that basically since he got here. But I think based on what we've seen, I don't know. I'm, I'm expecting the Cajuns to kind of come out and, and not have – a, a big hangover from last week or anything like that? Well, they're certainly saying all the right things. I mean, uh, almost to a man, they're in total robot mentality, which as a coach you love, which as a sports writer you just cringe at. Correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, you know, they're, they're, they're saying the right things. Um, but you know what? Another thing that Billy Napier always preaches is this is this season. Last season was last season. It's in the past, and every team is different. It's different makeup. It's different player leadership. Um, it's a different mindset. So, you know, they still have to go out and prove what you're saying. Um, so we'll see, but, um, you know, he, he, he used the very apt phrase, um, you know, two days after the win, which, you know, basically was, or actually, you know what, it might've been the night of the win. Uh, I'd have to remember, but, um, he said, you know, got to come back down to earth. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I, I think that message uh, well, obviously it was delivered, and presumably it was received. So we'll see. Um, Tim Buckley, our guest, ESPN 1420. W- was there anything that surprised you about the week one win um, in terms of on the, you know, I mean, like a, a specific part of the Cajuns game? Like, like whether it be 
their offense or defense or a positional group? Like, what was the the thing that Tim Buckley was like? Oh, okay, I, I didn't see that coming. Oh no, nothing at all. Okay. You know, after nine <laughs> months of covering this team via Zoom, you know, we we knew everything <laughs> that they'd be doing. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> he, he knew exactly no, what know, was the, about the to one, unfold. Here's, here's the one thing that did, that did surprise me a little bit, and maybe, you know, give them their credit. It, 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 at least in part, was because of what the Cajuns did, but I was surprised that Brock Purdy um, uh, looked as inefficient uh, and looked to be struggling as much as, as he did. So give some credit to... Uh, to that defensive front of the Cajuns, missing Zion Hill, what you know, Andre Landry plugged in to start in front of Hill, um, the kid out of uh, Acadiana, um, and and with two true freshmen playing, Sonny Hazard, uh, who I referenced earlier, and Mason Narcisse, uh, and and the new uh, transfer, uh, Taylor Humphrey, plugged in at the nose. Give all those guys credit, but it was surprising to me that that Purdy didn't look like the top five NFL draft uh, quarterback prospect that he was he was billed as coming in. Not even close. I think he averaged 4.1 yards a, a completion. Just uh, He looked pedestrian. And, you know, I think I, – I still believe Iowa State's going to have a really solid season. Um, I mean, just based on what Purdy did last year and the year before, Iowa State's kind of had a revolving door at quarterback for the last decade until – Brock Purdy kind of took the reins halfway through his freshman year, and he did not look sharp. Uh, he did not; he was not too effective, um, you know, outside of one drive last Saturday. And, and again, yeah, credit to the Cajuns' defense. Their linebackers, I thought, uh, were really, really strong. And AJ Washington, who, as we said, you know, earlier in the segment, will not be with the team uh, this weekend, had a big game, so they're going to miss him in that regard. But, uh, but with that, Tim, I guess uh, my final question for you is. Uh, what what storyline is most intriguing? What aspect of tomorrow's game, uh, I guess, has your interest peaked the most? Well, can can they get that ground game going? You know, the one that was sixth in the nation last year, the one that had uh, Elijah Mitchell, uh, an eleven hundred yard rusher last season, going. Uh, the one that has Trey Regis, who has an eleven hundred yard season of his own under his belt in 2018. Um, can it get to what everybody expected it would be? Look, both Regis and Mitchell were held under 50 yards apiece. Chris Smith, who, you know, is billed as the Raymond Calais, uh, uh, next man up. Um, um, sure. He broke off the kickoff return and that was a huge play. Um, special teams basically won, won that game for them. Um, but he didn't break any any super long runs from scrimmage. I think he had well, he had one fifteen yarder uh, in fairness, but um, was held to twenty five yards on whatever it was eight carries that he had. Um, can they get that group going? Now, look, will we know the truth? Probably not, because even if they have one of their games typical to last season, you know, arguably it will be against a Georgia State uh, defense that is not uh, as comparable as. Uh, an Iowa State defense that doesn't uh, present uh, all the complications that Iowa State's defense um, does, so it won't be a true apple to apple comparison. But you got to get it done, nevertheless. Um, arguably, won't truly know maybe until they face that App State defense. 
Um, but um, can they get can they get Mitchell and Regis going? Um, that that to me is the biggest. Uh, let's wait and see how that goes. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. All right, Tim. Appreciate the time, man. And um, going back to your days covering the Utah Jazz, I always like to wrap up our conversation with something from there. Uh, yeah, I know you do, and that's why I tried to slip Ben Hamlogging into earlier. Well, first I of got all, no appreciation for Ham- that. You're going to go NBA anyway. Hamlogging. <laughs> I mean, I, I wanted to. I, I didn't. I, first of all, I, I was just being polite. I didn't want to cut you off. Um, you know, for the record, <laughs> but. Is uh, number one. That's one of the, that's just a great name. Period. But uh, what what's the like? I guess wildest, um, craziest, or or most just taken aback by a player playing through an injury. Is that is that the one? Um, you mean as opposed to um. Well, you referenced, you know, the the, the guy. You for, mean as opposed to Car? You mean as opposed to Carlos Boozer not playing through a non-injury? Yeah, whenever you you uh, did you get on a plane, <laughs> fly out to interview the guy, and he didn't even want to talk to y'all. Um, no, I, I don't mean specifically with the Jazz. I mean in your entire career, you've covered a lot of sports. Is that one? Is that that situation with the Jazz? The guy, um, what was his name again? Ben Hanlogden. Hanlogden. Okay. Handlogging. Do a little Googling. Ben, I will. Ben Handlogging. Uh, Handlogging. So I don't we, know if the D is in there on hand, but Ben Handlogging. Yeah, that might be the most the most mind-blowing one. I mean, he played an NBA game on a torn ACL. I mean, stop. Yeah. Like, period, stop, 30, end it, quit. <laughs> that's That's... That's got to be it. Look, I saw, well, all right, here, all right, uh, all right. If you, you want NBA, I'll give you another one. It, this is not a specific injury, but I watched a guy who later uh, somebody told me that uh, one of the team doctors took the x-rays of this guy's knee uh, and went to another doctor and put him up on the board uh, and asked that doctor, um, look at these knees, how old uh, do you think this patient of mine is? And he looked at the knees and he said, eh, and I'm paraphrasing here, somewhere in probably the 75 to 80 year old range. Um, and the doctor informed him, uh, actually those are Jeff Hornacek's knees. <laughs> So, not one specific injury. Uh, your question was very specific, but uh, that also is pretty mind blowing. I mean, he he was that guy was playing at the end of his career on bone to bone. I mean, uh, just just painful. think about it, and it just makes you cringe. Yeah, yeah. Let alone go out and do it. All right. The, uh, the cardio just wasn't there. It was gone. It was. It was. It wasn't. I can't imagine that. Just yeah. well, you know, when you're that kind of player that's not relying as much on you know uh, dribbling and breaking to the basket and ball, you're just you know late in his career, you're just out there shooting it. Uh, you're able to stretch out your career a little long. So uh, I'm 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 trying to Google Ben Hamlog and and I, I don't think I'm spelling it right. I mean, this is what? all right. Take out the D. H A N L O G T E N. Ben Hamlog. Ben Hamlog. 
Oh, there it is. Ben, okay. I know. I got it. I got it. All right. Ben Handlogan. I did not remember this cat. Uh, There is a D in there. Ben Handlogged. All right. All right. Um, Wow. Was it the Toronto? Was it? Did he play against Toronto on uh, Toronto Raptors on no uh, on the torn ACL? uh, It's if it's memory serves. Let's see. I will oh, have to. You know to. how to Google. He signed. He signed as a. He signed as an undrafted free agent with the Jazz, September 30, 2008. Seventeen games, averaged four points, three point two rebounds, and zero point four assists before a season-ending ACL injury on December twenty six, two thousand and three. It does not list who he played in that game. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep working it. I'm going to make sure I'm going to have to verify, you know, remember when Tim Buckley covered Ben hand logging. Um, but this is, uh, (laughs) this is some, this is some like inside basketball trivia here. Uh, but yeah, anyway. All right. Well, I'm glad you and I were entertained by that. I'm not sure anyone else was, but, uh, whatever. I'm still going to ask you about your time, uh, covering the, uh, the jazz every single time we talk. So appreciate it, Tim. Uh, always thanks, uh, for coming on the program, man. Always enjoy your stuff, guys. Go check it out at theadvertiser.com uh, at TDA raging Cajuns on Twitter as uh, he sends out links for all of his stuff. And I want you for at least one tweet tomorrow to refer to the Georgia state quarterback is quad and, uh, and just nothing else, not even by his name. Can you do that for me? Well, no. I can assure you that I'll <laughs> likely pull my quad just walking, you know, walking around tomorrow, but whether I drop a quad reference or not, we'll just have to wait and see. I'll be following you, Tim. Thanks for the time, man. All the best. All right. On to the second cup of coffee, Scott. Have a good one. Thanks. The star of the segment. Ben Handlogan. Ben Handlogan. Ah, I'm trying to figure out what game he played. What did he play on Christmas with a torn ACL? Stay tuned. More of the Great Scott Show continues after this. Only 21 games on the college football docket. Cajuns will be on ESPN2 tomorrow. Um, as always, we invite you to turn down the volume on the TV, turn it up on the radio. 